Hey y'all, welcome back. We are going to continue on our voyage through the book of Job with chapter 13. And we had left off, Job was responding to his friend Zophar. And in chapter 13, we're going to see Job as he continues his response and start, he's giving up on his friends a bit here more. And he is turning directly to God for answers and understanding. And we'll see that as we continue on our reading in verse one, it says, look, I have seen all this with my own eyes and heard it with my own ears. And now I understand. I know as much as you do, you are no better than I am. As for me, I would speak directly to the almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. So he wants to go to God directly and he's asking them, He's telling his friends, you guys are no better than me, so why aren't you covered in boils? And he's wanting to turn to God to get clarification on what's going on here. In verse 4, as for you, you smear me with lies. As physicians, you are worthless quacks. If only you could be silent, that's the wisest thing you could do. Yes, so much truth in that. If they would have just been silent and supportive and present with Job through this time of suffering that he's he's struggling through, it would have been a lot more better than trying to throw out accusations and assumptions that they really have no understanding of themselves. In verse 6, listen to my charge. Pay attention to my arguments. Are you defending God with lies? Do you make your dishonest arguments for his sake? Will you slant your testimony in his favor? Will you argue God's case for him? So what he's saying here is like, are you trying to be God and say what's what? Like we should never try to play God ever. And we should let God be God because God's really good at being God. And he's arguing with his friends back that, you know, what are you trying to prove? Who do you think you are? In verse 9, What will happen when he finds out what you are doing? Can you fool him as easily as you fool people? No, you will be in trouble with him if you secretly slant your testimony in his favor. Doesn't his majesty terrify you? Doesn't your fear of him overwhelm you? Your platitudes are as valuable as ashes. Your defense is as fragile as a clay pot. So here he's saying, like, aren't you afraid of God? Don't you have a fear of God, which Job still has, even through all this, he he still has that reverence and respect for God. Verse 13, be silent now and leave me alone. Let me speak and I will face the consequences. Why should I put myself in mortal danger and take my life in my own hands? God might kill me, but I have no other hope. I am going to argue my case with him. But this is what will save me. I am not godless. If I were, I could not stand before him. Listen closely to what I'm about to say. Hear me out. I have prepared my case. I will be, pr- I will be proved innocent. Who can argue with me over this? And if you prove me wrong, I will remain silent and die. So he still has his faith in God. He still, his faith still lies 100% with God. He is officially giving up on his friends here, and he wants to take up his case directly with God. He wants to go to God, which is what we should always do in every situation. He wants to hope, and he wants to believe in God, and he wants to believe that God is just, and he wants to have an explanation of what is going on. In verse 20, 
O God, grant me these two things, and then I will be able to face you. Remove your heavy hand from me, and don't terrify me with your awesome presence. Now summon me, and I will answer, or let me speak to you, and you reply. Tell me what I have done wrong. Show me my rebellion and my sin. Why do you turn away from me? Why do you treat me as your enemy? Would you terrify a leaf blown by the wind? Would you chase would you chase dry straw? Who you write bitter accusations against me and bring up all the sins of my youth. You put my feet in stocks, you examine all my paths, you trace all my footprints. I waste away like rotting wood, like a moth eaten coat. So I do like how in verse twenty three he says, Tell me what I have done wrong. Show me my rebellion and my sin. That's um, a good inclination of something we should be doing all the time, every day. Search me, God. Show me if there's any sin in me. If there's anything that does not humble before God, show it to me because I want to repent of it and turn away. I want everything to be centered around God and his will. And then we go on. He continues crying out to God in chapter 14, verse 1. How frail is humanity? How short is life? How full of trouble. We blossom like a flower and then wither like a passing shadow. We quickly disappear. Must you keep an eye on such a frail creature and demand an accounting from me? Who can bring purity out of an impure person? No one. You have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. So leave us alone and let us rest. We are like hired hands, so let us finish our work in peace. And I want to point out in verse 4, who can bring purity out of an impure person? No one. Well, we all know a Savior is about to come forth and bring that purity and that clarification and um, purify our lives. And he doesn't know that quite yet, but that's a nice another foreshadowing and prelude to the coming of Jesus um, who would die for all of our sins to give us that purity, that we need in order to live in eternity with God. Verse 7, even a tree has more hope. If it is cut down, it will sprout again and grow new branches. Though its roots have grown old in the earth and its stump decays, at the scent of water it will bud and sprout again like a new seedling. But when people die, their strength is gone. They breathe their last, and when and then where are they? As water evaporates from the lake and a river disappears in drought, people are laid to rest and do not rise again until the heavens are no more. They will not wake up, nor be roused from their sleep. I wish you would hide me in the grave and forget me there until your anger has passed. Mark your calendar to think of me again. Can the dead live again? If so, this would give me hope through all my years of struggle, and I would eagerly await the release of death. You would call and I would answer, and you would yearn for me, your handiwork, and then you would guard my steps instead of watching for my sins. My sins would be sealed in a pouch, and you would cover my guilt. So this, again, in verses 15 through 17, he, he, God does call for us and yearn after us. What he's saying here actually does happen. God does want and desire to be a close, intimate in a relationship with us and be closely tied to our hearts and souls. God does yearn and delights in every single one of us. And then when he says, for you would guard my steps instead of watching for my sins, 
does that now because of Jesus. We don't have to sacrifice and slaughter animals to atone for our sins any longer because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for our sins and took away all of our guilt and shame and all the repercussions from our sins in within our spirits. Jesus does bring that forth. So again, that's another prelude and foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus. In verse 18, But instead, as mountains fall and crumble, and as rocks fall from a cliff, as waters wear away the stones and floods wash away the soil, so you destroy people's hope. You always overpower them and they pass from the scene. You disfigure them in death and send them away. They never know if their children grow up in honor or sink to insignificance. They suffer painfully. Their life is full of trouble. So we can see here he's definitely still struggling a lot. And then his friend, respond, Eliphaz, he responds a second time to Job. Then Eliphaz the Tamanet replied, a wise man wouldn't answer with such empty talk. You are nothing but a windbag. The wise don't engage in empty chatter. What good are such words? Have you no fear of God? No reverence for him? Your sins are telling your mouth what to say. Your words are based on clever deception. Again, we're seeing more condemnation instead of the encouragement that poor Job needs. Verse 6. Your own mouth condemns you, not I. Your own lips testify against you. Were you the first person ever born? Were you born before the hills were made? Were you listening at God's secret council? Do you have a monopoly of wisdom? What do you know that we don't? What do you understand that we don't? On our side are aged, gray-haired men, much older than your father. Is God's comfort too little for you? Is his gentle word not enough? What has taken away your reason? What has weakened your vision? That you turn against God and say all these evil things. Can any mortal be pure? Can anyone born of a woman be just? Look, God does not even trust the angels. Even the heavens are not absolutely pure in his sight. How much less pure is a corrupt and sinful person with a, wor- a thirst for wickedness? If you will listen, I will show you. I will answer you from my own experience. And it is confirmed by the reports of wise men who have heard the same thing from their fathers, from those whom the land was given long before any foreigners arrived. The wicked writhe in pain throughout their lives. Years of trouble are stored up for the ruthless. The sound of terror rings in their ears, and even on good days, they fear the attack of the destroyer. They dare not go out into the darkness, for fear they will be murdered. They wander around, saying, Where can I find bread? They know their day of destruction is near. That dark day terrifies them. They live in distress and anguish like a king preparing for battle, for they shake their fist at God, defying the Almighty. Holding their strong shields, they defiantly charge against him. These wicked people are heavy and prosperous. Their waists bulge with fat, but their cities will be ruined. They will live in abandoned houses that are ready to tumble down. Their riches will not last. Their wealth will not endure. Their possessions will no longer spread across the horizon. They will not escape the darkness. The burning sun will wither their shoots, and the breath of God will destroy them. Let them no longer fool themselves by trusting in empty riches, for emptiness will be their only reward. They will be cut down in the prime of life. Their branches will never again be green. They will be like a vine whose grapes are harvested too early. 
like an olive tree that loses its blossoms before the fruit can form. For the godless are barren, their homes enriched with bribery will burn. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Their their womb produces deceit. So again, he's comparing Job to the wicked. He is so convinced that Job has done something to deserve this. And he's standing by that a second time around with Job. And we'll go ahead and stop there and continue in chapter 16 tomorrow and see how Job responds to this accusation um, of Job. And, you know, it would be a, it would be really easy when you're reading this story if you didn't get to the end, if you didn't know how the book end, ended. I, I could see how a person would get mad at God because it's like, why are you doing this? Why? I mean, I understand why Job is frustrated because he doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't see the whole picture. He doesn't know how the story ends. But God knows how Job's story ends. God knows everything that's happening. And he knows what's going to come out of it. He knows the end of the story. So Job just really needs to hang tight, keep trusting God, keep having faith in God, because God knows how the story ends. And we can get frustrated at times in life, but we don't have God's view of things. We don't see all the intricate details and don't have a full understanding of what's going on behind the scenes. And that's something to keep in mind as we continue on through Job. I hope you all are having a wonderful day.